Welcome back to the Game of Thrones Flashcast, where we who have seen seven seasons worth of Game of Thrones and do not mind spoiling it all are re-watching season one of Game of Thrones. We're up to episode eight, the pointy end, and a lot of people get stuck with the pointy end in this episode. Joining, <laughs> I'm Jason Snell. Joining me is Brian Hamilton. My eyes shouted the truth, but you were not seeing. Mm. Because this is a podcast. Fair. Fair. Monty Ashley is also here. Hi, Monty. I think this might be the episode with the most locations and highest percentage of the cast. Yeah, this is like a linear story in a lot of ways. In fact, I did my usual note-taking method where I was going to break everything out into um, different locations, and I realized about three scenes in, I can't do it. We got to go in order, because this actually, the order matters. Like, this is, everything is connected, more or less. Everything is needs to go in a certain sequence. It's all kind of coming together here at the end of the end of the whole season. There are a lot of scenes in this episode that feel to me like somebody has just started playing a war game. And they're like, okay, I have to put this army in this area. I yep. have to put this guy over here. So there's just a lot of scenes that are like... And Rob, oh, Rob literally does that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, where was this person before? Well, that's not where I need him for what's about to happen. So now he's over yes. here. I think that is... I forget where I first heard this, but I, I, I've i heard this described as the furniture moving mm. phase of a season, which is... I, I feel like a lot of these shows... And Game of Thrones is actually not as bad at this as some shows are. But I think of like the, um, the CW superhero shows are especially like this where um they're they have like their here's what the opening is going to be and then they know what the end of the season is going to be and then they work backward from the end of the season all the things that need to happen to lead to where they need to go at the end of the season and those episodes are often just like death because stuff happens for no good reason or isn't very interesting because everybody needs to be put in place for the and it's and it's totally not organic and there's a little bit of that going on here which is you know we need to we need to get to the things that happen at the end and so we got to move pieces around on the board like literally viewed as a game board that is what is happening that Catelyn's going to come over here and Tyrion's going to go over here and Rob's going to go down here and that that's what happens in this episode to be fair lots and lots of people get moved around like I don't think in season seven they would put this much activity in a single episode Oh, I agree. I One of my things about this rewatch has actually been how the show has changed, not just like we talked about the sex position last time about how I feel like the show is, you know, they, they got over that eventually. But like the pa- pacing wise and prioritization of how they how they tell their story, like season one feels so different from season seven in, in terms of that. Yeah. Yeah, it is not. They they have they they have come along, and I think for for better and worse because season one feels jam packed with content in a way that I am not sure season seven does. But season <laughs> but season seven, for example, has a lot of sort of like, um, yeah, we know it's far. We don't care, kind of, yeah. which, which I kind of appreciate in a way because they're like they just want to get to what is going to happen next, and they don't want to have one of those. We have to spend three episodes waiting for character a to get to you know character b in 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 this other location they never did much of that they only care about i'd say a quarter of the travel times well if something interesting happens on the way there to waylay somebody and cause something interesting to happen then they really care about it but otherwise it's sort of like well roz is on a wagon on the turnip wagon now she's there it's fine yeah 
We don't care. Wait, how far? How long does it take to walk from the Vale to Tywin's camp? Not don't. not not too long. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, okay, well, I'll go through the plot, but uh, I think I suspect that we're going to go through this one at a, at a clip. Uh, but there are a few things to talk about that I think are interesting. Um, we see Serio uh, training Arya. Um, we. <laughs> it's weird. Sorry to stop you at the yep. very first sentence. Sure. Their fighting style is entirely based on stabbing motions, and their practices are entirely based on swinging the sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's me- method. I don't know. I'm not. I can't explain it. Um, the Lannisters come into the Stark compound and they basically start killing everyone. The Septa tells Sansa to run. She's not going to make it. Uh, run to your father. Uh, to, to Sansa. Um, meanwhile, they come for Arya as well. Uh, Sirio is, basically fights off four Lannister guards with a wooden <laughs> sword, which is so great. And then he's down to a broken sword for the last one. You're like, does he get more powerful the less sword he has? Yeah, mm, it's a good question. And he and he says to her, you got to go. What do we say to the god of death? Not today. Go now. And she runs out of the room. And as she's running basically behind, you hear lots and lots of clanking of swords and screams of people who are dying. And I have not checked, but I bet that's the exact same sound that Ned heard while he was watching her train earlier. Yeah, that could be. Um, so, so it's, uh, goodbye, goodbye, Sirio, runaway Sansa, uh, he's yeah. buying her time, basically, so she can flee, and we don't see where she goes, although this has been set up by her, you know, following the cats, that, that she has, she has basically, she's figured out all sorts of little hidey, hidey holes in King's Landing by following the cats and things like that. She's, she's uniquely equipped to hide in this location and not be found by anybody. She's like Newt from Aliens. She knows all of the hidey holes and nooks. Exactly right. From one of which she will be able to spy her father's execution next week. So, yeah. Yeah, that's coming too. Oh, she kills somebody too. She finally gives somebody the pointy end of Needle, which is the boy, the stable boy who is who is alive and is going to rat her out to the Lannisters. And she sort of accidentally, but she's struggling and she's got Needle and, and she runs him through. Yeah. And as I remember it, she'll be traumatized by this for about half of a season and then be profoundly homicidal for the whole rest of the series. If y'all will remember from, uh, God, this must have been three or four years ago, I named Sirio Pharrell's death the best death on Game of Thrones on our one episode of Counterclockwise on the game show. Oh, yes. <laughs> He's not dead. What are you talking about? Wait, what? You never see him die? You You don't. <gasps> Is this your oh. first piece of fantastic fiction? If you don't see him die, he's not dead. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. He he may come up as a White Walker in season, the next season. Who knows? Season 90. He, he may have been any of the Bravosi we've seen on account of he can presumably change his face like all the rest of them. Oh, That's yeah. true. It's possible. Maybe he was always the uh, faceless man that oh. Arya met in season four or five. Maybe. Yep. But this is it. We don't see him again. Oh. Um, actor, we don't see. Ned, Ned is visited by Varys, uh, who basically says, you are a dummy, which we already knew because we saw the last episode. <laughs> and um, 
And uh, he's like, aha, but Catelyn has Tyrion. And, and uh, Varys is like, well, about that. Uh, um, uh, this whole series yeah. is full of, in the first part anyway, is full of people taking hostages to try to ensure good behavior by their enemies and it never works no 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 and uh but we do get a good line that i i I think about a lot uh in the rest of the season or the series which is when he asks varus who he serves he says i serve the realm basically someone has to (laughs) (laughs) which i kind of like and i kind of think he believes i think he i think he believes he is doing what he thinks is the right thing not for his own personal uh uh, glory like Littlefinger, but because he he's playing a game of of thrones that he thinks is the right one for that's the best for the realm of course a lot of people think that and his his plan involves targaryens coming back but my my favorite moment in this scene is when uh, Ned accuses him, you were there and yet you did nothing to stop my men from being slaughtered? And he said, of course, I do it again, of course, because I'm unarmed and I'm just a bystander. And it's this really, uh, it's such a horrible thing to say, you know, but it's also a really nice kind of diplomatic thing. It really sets the scene for Littlefinger as a, like, or I'm sorry, Varys, as a uh, really surprising surprisingly neutral force right. in Westeros. I really enjoy that. Do I look I like a fighter guy? <laughs> I don't think Ned accepts that excuse. He's thinking, yeah. oh, of course not. <laughs> yes, you should have rushed in there and gotten yourself killed. Yeah, because Ned is a dummy. Defend them. Ned is a big, big, giant dummy, and that that is why. Um, we cut to the north. Um, they find the there are some dead guys who were from that ranger party. This is the the remnants of that hand that they found in the last episode that the direwolf found. Um, they uh, have been dead for a while, but they have no smell. As Sam notices, uh, the <laughs> suggestion is we should burn them. They're like, no, no, let's keep them around and examine them. And then, of course, the raven arrives for uh, the old bear, saying that uh, the king is dead and Ned's been arrested, which he breaks to John by uh, having John sit down and, and drink a little bit of beer, which, he, of course, John immediately gets up and is all agitated because it's Jon Snow. Um, er, I didn't realize that vowing to be in the Night's Watch would have any effect on my personal yeah. wishes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back there in a little bit because again we're just gonna we're gonna break it. There's too much going on here that's actually interleaved. So so uh, I'm just gonna take it in order. Um, in back in King's Landing, uh, it's uh, <laughs> Sansa gets a meeting with a wonderful cast of characters. It's Cersei and the three <laughs> creepy spiders in their individual webs. Um, and she has no, she is so outclassed in this meeting it's hilarious it's like having all the nobelists meet with a kindergartner it's like like what <laughs> but she writes the letter which she will be blamed for six seasons later by somebody who's trying to get her to be sort of ejected from the from the chain of command she is forced by basically Cersei to write this letter saying oh. you need to come and bend the knee uh, because uh, otherwise we're all gonna die at this stage, Sansa's main motivation is just, please let me marry Joffrey. Yeah. I'll be a good wife to him. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> she, All she wants is to be queen. And I don't hold that against her, but it isn't great. 
No, but it really sets up a nice uh, payoff for her later. I remember thinking years ago that Sansa was my least favorite character on the show, but she slowly but surely became my favorite, one of my favorites, because of this arc that she has. She starts off so... I, I don't want to say vapid, because again, Monty, I don't hold it against her like you do, but or like you also do. But I also <laughs> feel like... <laughs> I also feel like this is a really strange place for her to begin, because this is the only characterization we have for her. And then she slowly becomes more and more of a character as the show goes She's on. She's been trained to this is the ultimate thing for what she's been trained to do which is marry the king like she's been essentially Mm -hmm. trained in all of the different like we're gonna you're gonna marry off to some other house and it's gonna strengthen our bond between our house and their house and that's how this that's how the system works and the king is like the best of that and so that's her whole like she has no other thing that that's her thing that she's sort of been prepared for and she's like i get to do this this is awesome and you know knowing what we know from the vantage point of of seven seasons on like Cersei has Cersei has no intention of Sansa being anything but a toy for Joffrey and Mm. because because the thing is you do the fact is you do marriages like this for political reasons and if the Starks unless Rob I mean she wants to keep her around maybe as a hedge against like Rob Stark right and Catelyn but ultimately if they defeat the Starks in battle Sansa's gonna get thrown away anyway she can be she can be used and ruined by Joffrey because they will bring in someone else which they do later to uh, to marry to Joffrey, like like because they won't there won't be any value there if they if they destroy the Starks, which is her plan. It's my belief that at this point Sansa basically believes herself to be in a courtly romance, yes. which is like unexpecting viewers who are, who think this is just going to be a straightforward fantasy with knights and princesses mm-hmm. and stuff <laughs> right which is actually plays to what happens later in the, in the last scene in the episode where there's a glimmer of hope for ned um which is a cruel thing that this show does so well which is set up the next episode where you are really led to believe that ned is how's ned gonna get out of this one Yep. And uh, he doesn't. But uh, <laughs> let's um, move back to Winterfell very quickly. Uh, Rob is going to go to King's Landing with an army instead of to bend the knee. And he calls all the bannermen uh, <laughs> to come and they're going to they're going to build an army and they're going to go fight. Yeah. Uh, this is one of my favorite scenes in the show because I sometimes I get a little sick of the machinations of the upper crust and all the like lords and royals and people who are ruling things and a nice little kerfuffle between like working class people and people that just have families and a farm they're trying to survive. I loved this one guy being like, oh, I will never march with a mary muck or a took or whoever else like what other other families were they were talking about i loved that small little tidbit of like other fantasy things happening that weren't just the rulers of winterfell and the rulers of king's landing doing their thing yeah yeah it's uh it's good this is uh and it's rob you know he's out there on his own he was just sort of like holding down the fort and now his dad is arrested his his uh, mom is off somewhere and he needs to do this and uh and he's going to make it happen uh speaking of his mom by the way we the next scene is at the airy uh where uh lisa and robin are are nuts and they're awful and they're not going to help and cat yells at her and basically like this this is now she too is just had enough and uh that's going to be it for for the veil for a little while my whole notes on this scene are 
Aaron's colon. Still crazy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. That didn't change between episodes. But just outside the veil, uh, Tyrion and Bronn are walking down the road. It's my favorite couple in all of Game of Thrones, Tyrion and Bronn. I love them. There are some funny lines. <laughs> they meet. I'm the- not your toady and I'm not your friend. Mm. Come on, you're his friend. They're, they meet the hill people. Uh, they say, hey, the little one's funny. He can dance. Kill the other one. We'll let this one dance for the children. But he's like, no, no, no. I have money, weapons. And finally, he's like, look, the Lords of the Vale want me dead. So I think we need new Lords of the Vale. It could be you, dumb hill people. Uh, did I say that last part out loud? Oh, I didn't. Whew. Right? That is, that's what's going on. But Tyrion, again, fast-talking Tyrion gets how many times does this guy talk his way out of situations it's his superpower in two episodes too because he did the same thing at the veil yeah oh yeah no he's uh this is this is Tyrion. this is what he's good at um the uh then we go back to the wall uh because that uh that awful guy whose name i always escapes me uh Uh, sir thorn thorn yeah yeah that's it thorn um he call he says oh you're not just a bastard john you're a you're a traitorous bastard and uh john like tries to fight him or stab him or something and is sent to his room um the the line by the way the old bear says to him look i told you not to do anything stupid to which i wrote down in my notes but it's john (laughs) (laughs) you know they get guys like this like every other year yeah yeah i mean surely the night's watch deals with this again it's not the best and the brightest and they're probably always fighting and saying terrible things to each other and stuff like that but what happens is john's back in his room and ghost is upset and pawing at the door and it's a very lassie moment where he's like what is it what is it uh and he follows ghost out and ghost takes him all the way over to the lord commander's room and the dead body in there is not dead anymore and uh (gasps) there's a whole thing where there's like the stabbing but the stabbing really doesn't do it and he finally stabs him through the heart and the dead body goes down but then he gets back up and then he grabs the the lantern and burns his hand and throws the lantern on the on the the dead body and it goes up in flames and turns out. But Jason, the White Walkers have been dead for thousands of years. But, what in the world could this magic be? Well, uh, we'll come in a couple of scenes. We're going to learn about it from <laughs> Sam. But that's what we get for now. So it's a supernatural surprise in the middle of all of this ma- these machinations. Someone called Dan Morin. That's right. It's the supernatural surprise. Um, hey, let's take a break. Oh. and go to the east. Where uh, things that aren't really related to what's happening with the rest of so this episode happen, but because I'm taking it linear, linearly this time, we have to go there, go there. Hey, the lamb people seem really great, which is <laughs> too bad because the uh, Do you cow- get to name yourselves like the horse people got first pick. Yeah. Well, the the horse people don't think of themselves as the horse people. They're the Dothraki, but they consider the lamb people the lamb people. That's just. Uh, that's just what they do. So they they they're killing all the lamb men, and the ones they aren't killing, they're going to take as slaves to the uh, to the slavers and sell them for stuff. And they're doing this. Daenerys is aghast, but they're like, no, 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 we need the gold because then we're going to get the ships, and then the ships, then we can take you across. So this is all of this horrible stuff that's happening is because of you. <laughs> feeling feeling good, um, but she tells Jorah, um, please make them stop raping people. That needs to stop. And so she claims all the women. If only she could talk to the showrunners. Mm, oh, Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. snap. Uh, so she claims them all, uh, which makes uh, Mago mad. Mago is going to... Uh, mm, Mago mad. Mago very mad. And Mago basically threatens 
uh, threatens Drogo, at which point Drogo says, it's on, I will, uh, I thought this was the greatest insult I've heard in a while, which is, I will not have your body burned. That was good. I like that. That's that's uh, that's a a tough one. But Mago does wound Drogo on his chest. I hope that doesn't come back to haunt. It's just him. a scratch. It doesn't just a flesh wound. It doesn't seem particularly bad. In fact, Drogo kind of like encourages it a little bit, and yeah. then he and then he destroys the guy and kills him. But he's got this wound, and Daenerys is concerned. And there's this strange lady among the the land people, Miri Mazdur, who says, "Oh, I've, I've got all the we're all under the same god or whatever." And they're like, "Shut up, lady!" And she's like, "I can well, I can clean the wound," and uh, and. Uh, Daenerys begs Drogo to let <laughs> to let himself have basic medical attention essentially that we don't want that wound to fester it'll be fine I'm sure it won't it won't it's huge he's dead he's gonna die it's terrible anyway they wouldn't get rid of him Jason Momoa yeah I know he's Aquaman um we go back to Winterfell then so th- we g- ladies and gentlemen may I present the great John Umber who really just wants to lead the vanguard. And uh, Rob says, no, you're not going to lead the vanguard. And that leads to one of those sort of like, well, I'll just take my my men and go home. And Rob's like, no, you swore an oath. You're going to, you know, and uh, and you know what solves this problem? <laughs> A direwolf ripping off two of the, the great John's fingers uh, totally solves this problem because uh, then then there's just a lot of laughter. And uh, Bran, and, a cut, those... and cut to Bran looking very confused. <laughs> I think this is one of the management secrets in that Genghis Khan book. I think so. I think so. That, that you gotta, you know, just use your wolf to rip off some fingers, and then everybody gets on board. It's uh, it is it is a, an interesting moment, right? Because the Great John Umber is basically commanding uh rob and there is a moment where everybody's looking at rob and and it's it's very much like you can't let that go right like you're in charge here you are the starks the moment that you let your bannermen tell you what they're gonna do you're not in charge anymore and rob stands up to him and rob's direwolf tears off a couple of fingers and there's that <laughs> moment where the great john realizes okay uh, i'm not gonna win this one i'm so i'm gonna I'm going to go along with it. So it's a nice contrast to Ned where whereas Rob gets situations presented to him and he has to play the like leader man in the in the situation. Ned inserts himself into situations where he not might necessarily not need to be and then does the dumb thing. Yeah, yeah. Um hey, people who are fans of Rickon there are probably some out there. Who? Rickon appears because Brandon Rickon. Uh, I don't I don't know. Uh, yeah, what's going on? They're being left behind. Rob is marching off. They says goodbye. Brandon Rickon still are hanging out there. <laughs> I had to I had to remember what happens to Rickon. I'm like, oh right, they kill him at the Battle of the Bastards. That's what happens with Rickon. Yeah. After a long period of being shuffled around. Yeah, and and mostly off screen. Um. They, I guess Hodor's in charge of the castle yeah, at this point. Yeah, well, and he's naked, so that's interesting. <laughs> he's fully frontally naked, 
in the next scene. Now, this I thought this was actually the thing that struck me the most in this whole episode. Uh, and so bear with me here. They're praying at the heart tree. The Our wilding friend is there. Um, she says the old gods are the wilding gods, too. Um, we also hear about, you know, he's got all the bannermen in the north. This is the seven kingdoms, even though they theoretically have the one king. Um, later, uh, what, uh, t- uh, Tywin Lannister is referred to as the warden of the west. I I like the this is George R. R. Martin's world building here, where especially with the North, like the North is seen as being kind of its own thing. That that there has historically there have been kings in the North before. That um, you get the sense that be, with things like this about the gods being worshipped, the old gods are the only gods beyond the wall. That in a time before the wall was built, the North. You know, they were all worshiping these same gods. So they're they're like a country, even though they're split by the wall now, it's a country unto itself. And, and, and North people are different from the Southern people, even the people on our side of the wall. Um, I don't know. I just I, I like that. The idea that the North is different. It makes it feel like a real place to me that that the culture kind of bleeds through, even though there's the wall in the way now that they have more in common with each other than the South. The, the Wildings and the and the the different people of the North, the houses of the North actually have a bunch of things in common that they don't have in common with the rest of the seven kingdoms. I just think I think that's neat. And then Hodor shows up and he's full frontal naked and uh, and they tell him to go put on some clothes and he says Hodor. Um, and they're marching the wrong way. Again, we are reminded the bigger issue is to the north, but they're not going to get there yet. Anyway, I like the old gods thing. I think that's cool that the wildings also worship the old gods or the only gods, I guess, as the wildings call it. And then she's got a whole story about like, well, they cut out these creepy trees with the faces. They cut them all down everywhere else. So they can only, they only got this part. Gods are limited. Um, we go to the wall. Sure. Uh, Sam has read some books. <laughs> One of those, like, they were touched by the White Walkers. Only fire will stop them. And they're like, whoa, whoa, where are you getting all this? And he's like, I read a book. <laughs> Good job, Sam. Somebody's got to. Hooray! The old Meister can't. Been... He's blind, so. <laughs> I did not like in the earlier scene when the bodies first showed up and, and he said, there's no smell. They were like, you know, you may be a coward, but you do know some things. That he wasn't even acting cowardly. That no. was a gratuitous shot. Yeah, that was just a shot at them there. Yeah, but no, Sam is useful. He knows things. And the White Walkers, and, and there's a nice kind of pan up to the wall where they're like, well, if uh, the other stuff in those books is right, I hope this wall is big enough to stop them. Because uh, so we get, so this episode does at, at several points touch on this issue, which is there is that as the war is escalating in the South, we get this reminder that the real problem is not to the South, it's to the North. Um, Moving on to uh, Rob and his army on the road. Catelyn shows up. Um, they get Sansa's letter, which um, I think it's interesting when this letter is used against Sansa later, that it's very clear by everybody who receives it at, in the in the time. Everybody knows that it's Cersei's words, right? Yeah. It's Cersei's letter. But it doesn't stop the people later from trying to take it out of context and say, this is obviously proof that Sansa is terrible, which I think is actually very realistic that the people I'm, in the to- in the moment know exactly what it means. And the people a few years later uh, can divorce it from context and try to use it against her. I'm just impressed they follow such good data management protocol and save all of their notes. 
Well, you got to. I mean, I absolutely. What if you get subpoenaed six months down the road? But <laughs> yeah, you never, you never know. I, I think it's most impressive that other people take over Winterfell for a while, and yet all the documentation <laughs> is still filed. You got to keep yeah. your filing. They had a very good clerk there on the second reign of Winterfell. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, they're <laughs> down in a basement somewhere. They didn't even I guess, know. While someone else had Winterfell, there was that giant plume of smoke coming out of it in the opening map. Which yeah. That could, yeah. that could be documentation there. It's a living map. It's probably mm. just bed linens. Um, so uh, back to Tyrion. Now Tyrion and Bronn and the Hill people have come out of the hills. They have found the Lannister army and Lord Tywin. Um, Ty- uh, Tyrion says, maybe I should go ahead and you guys should wait here. And the, the Hill people are like, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. Uh, otherwise, we'll... And this is the laugh line of the episode... Tyrion's like, yes, yes, cut off my manhood and feed it to the goats. Yes, I've heard it all before. <laughs> I know your lines. It's fine. Come on, then. We'll all go see my father, um, which they do. And I think this is something I didn't catch the first time around as much, which is uh, Tyrion's father and uncle are there, and they underestimate rob stark they are arrogant and underestimate rob he's a boy he doesn't know what he's doing and Tyrion is the one who injects a note of caution and says yeah he's a boy but he's uh he's maybe uh smarter than you give him credit and that proves to be absolutely accurate (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I think is I think is good, and then and then Ty- Tywin is trying to figure out what to do with the hill people that that apparently Tyrion has prost, pro, uh, promised armaments. It's like funding the uh, the the rebels in Nicaragua in the Reagan administration. Is what I kept thinking about. Is like we will sell arms to the hill people, um, and then we will sell arms to the airy. And uh, anyway, but they're like, hey, why don't you fight with us? And then you'll get even more than what my son promised you. And they're like, sure, if he'll fight with us. And Tyrion's like, oh, all right, fine. I thought that was going to be this episode because that's one of my favorite moments of season one. Turns out it's next episode. Next episode, oh, yeah. Funk. yeah, yeah. They just make the they just make the deal here. Um, I like Shaga. Yeah, yeah. He's got the horns like in the wrong. I, I, the way I read it is like kind of in the wrong place. <laughs> like the yeah. weird that like down low. He's got the the horns sticking out and all that. But the they'll people there. I like that scene where they introduce them all. Where it's like this is so and so. This is Shaga of the whatever clan, and then this is this, this this guy of this clan. This is the lady of this clan, and and Bron is like, and I'm you wouldn't know. Uh, it's fine. I'm Bron. <laughs> it's fine. Um, and so back at Rob's camp, he let there's a Lannister spy that is found, and uh, they're like, "Oh, we'll we'll kill him. Uh, we'll kill him for you. You don't have to kill him." And uh, there's they refer at one point somebody refers to Ned in the past tense, and Rob basically um said my father is right, and, and brings it back to the present tense, um, which I think was an interesting little little note yeah. there. Might want to get used to yeah. the idea, mm. Rob. Yeah, well, he's trying. He's trying to be optimistic, and then, uh, but he lets the Lannister spy go after finding out what he thinks, what he estimates the the army size to be, and uh, I think the implication there is that they're like, "Oh, you're so foolish." And the implication there is that he actually has a plan. He's going to use. He's like, "Tell tell Tywin Lannister what I'm going to do," which is this. And he's like, "I'm not going to do that," right? But we don't see that here. <laughs> and he's going to be hailed as a military genius for the rest of the series <laughs> for this one really straightforward bit of deception. Yeah, and I thought to myself, if I'm Tywin Lannister, 
And a guy comes and says, well, I mean, that that's, I guess, the thing. I don't know. There might even be a scene of this. I'm not sure where the guy comes to Tywin Lannister. And does he say, like, oh, there's like 20,000 of them and, they, and, they're, and they, they, they're marching? Or does he say, yeah, they were going to kill me. And then Rob Stark gave me this funny look like he was thinking of something. And then he <laughs> yeah. said to tell you this thing. Because if I were Tywin Lannister, I'd be like, I don't know if I believe this guy. But, you know, maybe he doesn't describe it that way. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm just doing my job as a spy. And this is my information um ned is bad off we we see there's like a 10 second shot of ned down in the cells just to remind us that ned is down in the cells we don't really see anything more and then we get to our last scene which is in the throne room we come into the throne room we get to see joffrey as uh, sansa is coming in janos slint who you may not know but he is the guy who is the head of the city watch it's it's more clear in the books but he's basically he and littlefinger are the ones who betray ned and uh for for as it turns out here he's going to be sir janos slint and lord of harrenhal he ends up getting sent to the wall later by the way yeah Heron oh, Hall gets mm. given to a lot of people. Yeah, nobody apparently nobody wants it or something. I don't even know. Um, but uh, Jan- yeah, Janos Slint. So he's put in charge here. Sansa comes. Tywin's going to be the hand. Um, and then in another amazing scene, actually, they mm-hmm. fire Baristan the Bold. Sir Baristan Selmy. Um, yes, he he's not he's not wanted anymore and and Cersei is like you have served us well and you are going to retire and then and then Joffrey's like you couldn't you you're couldn't protect my old. father you're too old. <laughs> like, yeah. All right. And then Varys has to come in as good cop again. We have nothing but gratitude for your long that, service. That's right. You will get a you'll get a place with with uh, you know servants and it'll be by the sea. Everybody likes the sea and he's like a place uh, for me to grow old and die and those guys will bury me and now it's it's a really great you can't fire me i quit from baristan and they let him like he's taken off he's he's taken off his helmet he's taken off his cape and all that to which Littlefinger makes a joke although i'm not entirely sure when he says a naked knight apparently i'm not entirely sure whether Littlefinger is just making a joke there or if he's actually trying to defuse things a little bit um i i think he's taking a shot like he has decided that Selmy is on the outs with the court, therefore you mock that guy. You might as well take a shot there. But they let him out, which I think is really interesting. That he just he walks away, and I, I the way I read that is that Baristan's standing is so high, he is so well thought of that all they really want to do is kick him out. They just don't want him around. They're not going to like kill him in the court or anything like that. They just let him go, and he goes, and he walks away, and they're like great because all we wanted to do was get rid of that guy and put jamie in charge it's interesting because i didn't i mean baristan seemed to be the guy who kind of will go along with everything because he was he worked for the the uh the last regime he worked for the new regime but this is this is one of those things where i think they just want their own guy in there in this case they want jamie lannister in there and so they don't want sell me around anymore and i'm fascinated by that politically too because it's maybe a mistake like this guy's a really good fighter and he's got a lot of esteem and just because he's not your guy doesn't mean that he won't do everything you want him to do but um uh, cersei is not interested in that and that's very cersei lannister i think to be like no, no no i want jamie here instead a political administration getting rid of everyone else and then bringing in all their own people is a really great like fantasy device that you don't really see anywhere else in the world. <laughs> well, the, there are civil ser- there are civil servants, right? And then I guess that's it, Brian. Is that is that Baristan is a is a civil servant, but it doesn't matter. The new regime is not interested in having him around. 
uh, the guys that he's facing when he says, I could still carve through all of you like a cake or whatever. The yeah, phrase that's is. right. I love that. <laughs> One of them, I think, is the guy who was facing Sirio in the earlier scene. Hmm. It's hard to tell because he's wearing a full helmet and has a beard. All right. That would be evidence that Sirio disappeared instead of uh, killing him. He didn't die. Totally didn't die. Um, let's see what happens. Oh, so Sansa appears. There's that moment of like, if if anyone has anything left to say to the king, speak now or leave here and never speak of it again. One of those kind of things. And Sansa uh, comes and is told to approach and ask for mercy for her father. And um, who is like uh, Pycelle is is heavy into oh. the into the treason is treason is his big <laughs> Pi- argument. Pycelle does not know what the scene is about and is getting on Joffrey's nerves. Yeah, yeah. From Joffrey's point of view, it, he just wants everybody needs to say that I'm the king. That's very important. Yeah, and uh, and Pycelle's like treason is a bitter fruit <laughs> pulled out by the stem. Ah. Well, Pycelle is is a fascinating character because he is he is playing the game, um, and he's got his own deceptions. But I think in 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 fact he is he is not nearly as good at it as Littlefinger, and maybe he was when he was younger. But he's not nearly as good as as uh, Littlefinger and Varys are. But he is he is playing it, and here he's just trying to get this over with. And treason is treason, and all of that. But Joffrey wants to listen. Basically, tells Pycelle to shut up, and Joffrey says. Um, I will show mercy to your father if he confesses and says that I am the king. Otherwise, there will be no mercy. And the last line of the episode is Sansa saying, he will. And the, and I think of, I really appreciate how this episode ends because it, there's this big tracking shot as she says, he will. And the shot goes back behind the Iron Throne and down into blackness. And then the credits roll over the blackness. And the music that's playing is essentially just an extension of the music that was playing in that scene. So it's kind of like the the it's a very gentle closing of like he will and that's like that's all you get for now and the leaving hanging in the air is will ned down in the frozen cell admit (laughs) to being a traitor um just in order to save some and and bend the knee to joffrey just in order to save something of his family and all that um watching this again i felt like the two swords on the iron throne that the camera tracked down behind reminded me of a guillotine Almost with like the two, um, the two angled blades that people like put their head in. I that's what that reminded me of this time. I like Barristan also when he drops his sword because they're like, "Oh, you're dragging your sword. We're gonna we're gonna kill you." And he drops it and he says to Joffrey, "Have that melted down and add it to your dumb chair back there." Basically, that's a good, <laughs> a good line. It's it's so symmetrical right now. Yeah, it's hard to add more to the Iron Throne at this point. They don't it make is. mistakes. They make happy accidents with their Iron Throne. Hmm. Well, that's the whole episode. So a lot happens in it. But other than me kind of musing about the North uh, having the same gods north and south of the wall and uh, the Janus slint sucks and and uh, also that I guess Hodor is part giant. Uh, anything else we can take from this episode? The pointy end? Um, Everybody's where they're supposed to be now. Yeah. For the next one, which is the big like. one. <laughs> Tyrion, you have to be uh, over with the hill people. Just now, you're there. Mm-hmm. They pan down onto the pointy end of the chair. Hmm? That's that. That counts for something. All the ends of the oh, chair. Oh, I like it. Oh, <laughs> I like it. All the point. All the ends are pointing. It's true, especially the end of Needle that 
Arya used to stab that 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 guy. <laughs> the the first the first confirmed kill of of Arya. Um, well, so that's it. Like uh, we we are done with this. It's off next week to everybody's favorite episode, Baylor, where Ned Stark gets to confess all of his sins and then die anyway, what? while his daughter watches him be beheaded. So that'll be next time. I suppose we'll have something to say about it. Probably, maybe. All right, but that's next week. But for this week, I want to thank my guests for being here to break down the pointy end. Ouch. Monty Ashley, thank you. <laughs> Ouch, indeed. Mm, and Brian Hamilton, thank you. I could cut through you like you're. A, I'm carving a cake from a signature challenge or a technical bake or even a showstopper challenge. I must be entirely edible and completed in four hours is the original version of the line. He watched Grit Pitch Bake Off before that scene. That would have been a less dramatic exit for Barristan the Bold. Are you sure? Have you seen Great British Bake Off? It's pretty dramatic. Yeah, maybe. I don't think Sir Barristan has. I think they would have been like, wait a second, Barristan? Were you watching Netflix instead of training? I mean, what we know about Westeros is they're way more into pies than cakes. That's true. That's fair. That's why he no soggy bottoms. Just cut on through. Anyway, we'll be back next week. Ned's going to die. It's going to be sad. We'll see you then. I'm Jason Snell. Thanks for listening to the Game of Thrones Flashcast. Goodbye.